0: this is Erin and Melissa and we're trending Spokane a weekly podcast
1: all about the latest in the lilac city finding out what is happening right now in Spokane can be overwhelming but not if you're an insider join us as we shine light onto the latest happenings and chat about the future of our city each episode will introduce you to people you want to know places you need to visit and local knowledge you can't live without we will help you get out and get involved episodes are dropping soon and make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts now
0: Don't forget to put inspiration and entertainment on your calendar. Get season tickets now to STCU's Best of Broadway. You can have first access to popular touring productions with live music and top talent, special offers from nearby restaurants, and so much more. West Coast Entertainment is a locally operated independent presenter of national touring Broadway productions, concerts, and other special events. Don't miss a single show-stopping moment. Learn more about their upcoming season by checking out broadwayspokane.com.
1: Melissa Luck has been a journalist for 21 years and is currently the news director at KXLY. Journalism runs in her family. Her dad was a broadcast journalist, so she grew up connected to the business of TV news. At KXLY, she developed the station's initial digital strategy and led the newsroom through a rebrand and set change. Very impressive.
0: She's a reporter's reporter. Notable stories she has covered included the fundamentalist polygamous community in North Idaho and Creston, B.C., the crime's child serial killer, Joseph Duncan, and was part of the team that helped break the Rachel Dolezal story and everything that came with that.
1: As a result of her groundbreaking work, she is an Emmy-nominated, Murrow Award-winning journalist, leading an entire television newsroom in Spokane. She is also a proud graduate of the NAB Broadcast Leadership Training Program, BLT, and a fellow with the Neyland Center for Responsible Journalism. She is now a proud mentor to young journalists and is a strong advocate of journalists' rights. Welcome to the podcast, Melissa. Thank
2: you. I sound so much more impressive than I actually am, so thank you for that. (laughs) you. You are such a
0: role model to so many journalists. In our community. And the work that you do at KXLY is truly like Melissa said the word impressive, but that is the word that comes to mind for us. And it makes such an impact on the community when we have high quality journalism right here in Spokane that focuses not just on Spokane News, but, you know, regional, national and global news. And people are still so dependent on getting a high quality news source that they can trust. And so we just wanted to first say, we appreciate you. We know these last five, 10, you know, all of time has been a little (laughs) difficult to do this work, Uh, but we see you and we really appreciate that.
2: Thank you. I love to hear that. I love what I do, as crazy as it is and as, as weird as it's been for the last few years. But it's it's rewarding and it's it's really great to hear that because you're the people that we're serving. So it's nice that it's appreciated. Yes, definitely. And,
1: and we mentioned that your journalism kind of runs in your blood. So was becoming a journalist something you always knew you were going to do or did you decide to go into it? What made you become a journalist?
2: Yeah. I think I, my dad was a journalist. I didn't grow up with my dad, but I grew up like seeing him and and spending time. So when we would go visit, it was like, oh, you're going to work. Now you're going to the TV station, which is a really cool place, place to go and go out in the field with him. Um, I've always been, um, the kind of person who wants to tell people things like, Hey, did you hear that? I can't like sometimes in a gossipy way, but sometimes in a just like, I like information way. Um, so that just kind of came naturally to me. Um, I love writing and that was really kind of where it, it settled. Um, When I was like five, I told my mom I wanted to be a CPA and a waitress. Um, I didn't know what a CPA was. My uncle was a CPA and I thought it sounded cool. So um, it evolved over time to say like, why don't you do something maybe that you're good at? Um, So I did, you know, journalism in high school. And then by the time I was going to college, I knew this is what I wanted to do. Um, And that hasn't really changed. I mean, I I always joke that I don't have any other skills, um, but, but journalism just makes sense to me and just you know, feels like what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah.
1: Well, and journalists have a lot of skills too. I mean, the whole fact that you interview people and you kind of have to think pretty quickly on your feet too, that's a skill that I've learned doesn't come naturally to most people. So that's incredibly important, the work that you yeah, do. Yeah. It's
2: it's curiosity, I think. Yeah. I mean, the people always ask me what I look for in like a journalist when I hire journalists journalist for our newsroom. And I'm like, it's curiosity and critical thinking at this point. That's like the most important things. You have to just be the kind of person who wants to find things out. Especially when they don't want you to find them out. <laughs> it's really fun. Um, but but interviewing is is You've, you've learned, I'm sure. It's it's hard sometimes. It's like it's as much listening as it is like preparing for the next question and those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, there, there are a lot of skills when it comes down to it. When I think about our jobs in TV news, I always say like the business model doesn't make sense for us to just like start with nothing at the beginning of the day and then be like, oh, okay, by the end of the day, we're going to put, you know, four newscasts on the air and have video and have interviews and all those things. So there are some, some skills in there. It's just I, I don't know how they translate to anything else at this point. <laughs> well, I have to say just, you know,
0: thinking about the structure of the newsroom, as the news director, what does a day in your life look like from beginning to end? I know that's a pretty loaded question, mm-hmm. but there are so many different pieces and parts to the job that you do and so many different skill sets that are utilized. So we would love to know more about that.
2: Yeah. The, and every day, I mean, every day as a journalist is different. Every day as a news director, it's, it feels the same in a lot of ways, but you're just dealing with different things all the time. So my day starts pretty early. I may mean, always trying to make sure that I touch every newscast that we're in, in some way, but our morning newscast is on at five in the morning. Um, so I'm just like, just getting up and I'm not like, I'm not like obsessively watching and t- texting them with, you know, whatever suggestions. Cause they probably would not like that very much, but, um, but I try to make sure I'm connected to them, helping out with what anything they need in the morning. And I just do that while I'm getting ready for work. Like while I'm working out and I'm checking my phone and trying to like, stay connected that way. Um, my job generally you know, overall, it's to kind of set set the editorial direction for the newsroom. So I'm kind of doing that all the time, like, you know, chiming in on stories and coverage plans and that kind of thing. But fortunately, I have really, really good managers that kind of handle the day-to-day um, because I, I would love to get lost in that every day. That's just like so much more interesting than my job. Um, but I do a lot of um, – Interacting with the other departments in the station. So um, my boss is our general manager. So I'm you know checking in with her, see what she needs from me. Um, I work you know journalism and, and the sales department are really separate in a you know in a broadcast business and a journalism business. But there are things that we do collaborate on. So I have a couple meetings a week with them. So I might be meeting with our sales department about partnerships that they're looking into. Um, I'm answering strange questions about can we show this video on TV? Could we say this word? Which is always like you just never know what it's going to be. Um, so I do a lot of that. It's a lot of rapid fire decisions. It's not a lot of sitting still and being able to think about the big picture. If it were up to my bosses, I would spend more time doing that um, and working on strategic planning and those kinds of things. But um, but a lot of times it's you're just constantly kind of interrupted by the day-to-day. Um, I also do all our hiring and recruiting in any business right now is a just whirlwind of, of chaos. So I do a lot of, um, interviewing with journalism students or, um, you know, applicants to our, um, newsroom. Um, I watch a lot of YouTube, um, not just like as a hobby, but like to find people's resumes and find, you know, new candidates. Um, you know so it's a lot of that i i don't read through every script like i used to um i have other managers that do that but a lot of times i'll you know weigh in on somebody's coverage or something like that um and then i kind of do the same thing when i go home i'm just kind of like in touch and and you know try to stay connected in some way so um it's like a really long answer that i probably missed half of what i'm doing but <laughs> but it's a lot of that it's a lot of i always say if i'm mediocre at a whole bunch of things Imagine if I could just do one thing, would I be good at it? (laughs) Because we just don't get a lot of that uninterrupted time. So that's the challenge
0: think people really underestimate the amount of like emotional and mental tax that it takes away from you to have to make those kinds of rapid fire decisions and be super confident that it's the right one. And so a job like yours is so demanding. And I can imagine at the end of the day, it's really tough, but you have such a sweet family and th- you've managed to balance that work life balance. Like you've talked about so many times really well, what do you think is something that's really important that you do every day when you come home to your kids and your husband and, you know, just to unwind from all that stress because it's tough.
2: I will tell you what my answer is, and I hope my husband doesn't listen and like fact check me. He is also a journalist, <laughs> so he might do that. Um, you know, I, I've I struggled with this. Everybody does. I mean, everybody's job consumes them in some way, right? If you, especially if you like what you're doing, you you want to stay connected. Well, I happen to work in a field where, you know, being connected all the time. We always say, well, we have to be always connected. But we really don't. Um, and so I struggle with that, especially when my kids were little, of like what, how distracted and split my time was. Um, I try to – I don't do a great job of it. But once I get home, I'm just kind of home, um, at least while, you know, we're eating dinner or whatever. You know, we're, there's a million things going on. My kids are playing sports, so we're running around. Um, I try to allow that time. Um, and then I, I really try to tell people in the newsroom – like, if you need me, text me or, you know, call me. But if you're going to email me some like, if it if it can wait till tomorrow, let it wait until tomorrow. Um, I try to make sure that everybody in the newsroom understands what our values are in the newsroom so that they don't have to bother people who aren't there. Like, you can make the decision, you know, what we do, you know. Um, so, you know, I try to disconnect, but I don't do a very good job of it. Um, and like I said, I watch a lot of sports. I spend a lot of time in gyms and on soccer fields. And that's a great distraction. Um, And I find myself when I'm there enjoying that so much that I don't really want to stay connected. I don't need to check in with the newsroom. I'll go entire weekends now without having any idea what we're covering in the news because I need that time. And I try to do that so that my staff will do the same. So when I leave early, I tell people, hey, my son has a basketball game at 5. I'm leaving at 4.45. So they know, okay, well, that's important to her and, and you know, try to make, let them know that their family is important to me too. Um, so, yeah, and then I, you know, drink wine and read books pretty much.
0: So <laughs> Our favorite activity. That's, yeah. the, yes. that's <laughs> the, the unwind part, right? Yeah. It's
2: like in those things, you know, where you can really force yourself to like stop the work part and, and shift into the home part. But having kids, I think, makes a difference. Like they kind of just demand your time and they don't care what you're doing. They're just like, whatever, like, you have an important story. Okay, whatever. Let me know when you can do my laundry at this point.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, we kind of alluded to it earlier. And so, kind of piggybacking off of how you unwind and de stress and, and spend time with your family. So, for new journalists and newer reporters out there, we've covered, I mean, gosh, this area seems to have a lot of traumatic events that just happen in the Northwest. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't, like, why Why is this happening all here? How do you balance covering those kinds of events? And I mean, we just went through the one in Idaho too. Mm -hmm. Um, so like for newer journalists, how can they balance what they're covering, which can be a lot with how to kind of unwind and and like,
2: let that go Mm -hmm. when
1: they get home. What, what is your recommendation for them?
2: The great news is those conversations are happening now and they weren't happening Mm -hmm. before. Um, I was just at a conference, and they had – the conference was about covering crime and, like, better, more responsibilities to cover crime. But there was a mental health um, it was a psychiatrist that spoke, and she said, you are working with a trauma-engaged workforce. Mm. And I, everybody in that room, you could just feel everybody would be like, ugh. Like, it's <laughs> like we know that, but for someone to say it. So um, – and I, I hear from journalists that I worked with early in my career who covered some really awful stories who now reach out and say, oh, my gosh, I'm carrying so much with that I didn't realize. And these are, like, tough – dude, journalists, guys, you know? Um, so it's, it's nice that the conversations are happening. I try to tell people like, connect with what you have to connect with. Like when you're in the middle of actually covering a story, the Idaho story is a great example of that. We were, we needed information. We were talking to families. We were talking to friends as a journalist. You have to be a listener and, you know, you have to engage, but, um, you know, you don't have to over-engage. You don't have to, You know, spend all your time watching other coverage of those things Mm -hmm. or um, we had a journalist who had a really hard time with the Uvalde uh, Uvalde shooting. Well, who didn't? I mean, it was awful. And she came into my office and and was in tears and was like, I don't know how you're dealing with this. And I said, I'm not watching it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's kind of like you you take in what you have to take in um, and then make sure you are. Putting aside what you don't have to be involved in, um, we do some things in our newsroom. Um, we just had a conversation about this yesterday. We look, we you know, we look through court documents, and there's really, really awful things in there. Um, and I try to tell people, don't just email that out to everybody, or don't just put it in our team's chat. Like, there are people who who don't need to be triggered by and deal with those situations if they don't need to. And as journalists, we're hungry for information, um, but sometimes we don't know what is going to you know stick with us or set us off. So I just really think people should you know, know what you have to cover, know what you have to get information on and the rest of it. You just have to set it aside at the end of the day. Um, there are stories that I covered 15 years ago that I will never forget. And I, and I'm glad at that. You know, I think we should always feel connected and feel empathetic to stories that we cover, but you know, we had this situation with the Tyree Nichols, the police beating a couple weeks ago. And, um, I was off that afternoon and the video was about to come out and everybody was kind of like waiting. And, um, I sent a note to everybody. I said, you do not need to watch this video. There is nothing you need. You are not dissecting it for the news. This is a national story. Um, You know, ABC, we work for an ABC station. And so they were sending down edited video that was like vetted for air. I said, if you're a producer and you have to put this in your newscast, watch it. But nobody else has to watch it if you don't want to. So we just try to be open with that and try to like leave space for conversation. Um, It's as an industry, we haven't been great, but it really is getting better. I think, I hope. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that your leadership in the newsroom has rippled out across the community. You know, there are former journalists that used to work at your station who spoke so highly of you. And that was one of the reasons why we got in touch. because you've been an advocate for people taking care of themselves and creating that personal space in their lives to be able to function normally and to feel at peace, because that's something that's so uncommon in our world today. Um, and there are so many anchors that you've worked with over the years from, you know, people who are in leadership positions today. Um, who are some of your favorite anchors that you've mentored over the years?
2: Oh, my gosh. I've worked with some really, really great people. I mean, my husband's one of them, so I have to say that because I work with him, Um, you know, I worked with, when I first started at KXLY, there was an anchor named Richard Brown and he was like old school journalist. He worked at headline news. He was like big shot, fancy. He kind of had anchor man voice and he would kind of play it up a little bit. Um, he taught me so much about journalism. I was a reporter at the time and I worked nights and he worked nights and he would, um, Sit with me and look, walk through my story, every step. And, and you know, there are things that he said. They're funny, like Richardisms that we say in the newsroom sometimes. But there are things that he said that I will never forget. Just like quick little things about journalism to remember. And so that really, I mean, he he invested time in me and did not need to. Um, I have worked you know, as a manager with so so many, so many great I mean, I could I could sit here and list them all day. It's really fun for me to see how they move on and succeed um in totally different fields. We have some that have gotten to major markets from here. We I have a you know a friend who I worked with who now leads a radio newsroom in Seattle. I mean it's just um just wonderful people. We we we've only haven't had very many clunkers over the years. Um but it's always the people who um I take the time to invest in other people and try to connect with them on a on a human level too. Besides just being great journalists, so there's been a lot. If I started naming them, I would forget. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. But Richard, I always give props to because he lives in Canada now. He doesn't know. He won't hear it. <laughs> Oh, and I love hearing that about Richard. I've had so many
0: people like that in my own t- career, both as a teacher and, you know, through this industry, which has been so new to us. And when people give time without expectation, yeah. that is so powerful, both in our own community and, you know, in the global structure as well. We have such de- such high demands on our time these days, especially with the internet being a twenty four seven news cycle and everything that's happening, it can be really stressful. And I know that Melissa had a question about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: speaking of that twenty four seven news mm-hmm. cycle too. I mean, especially with the rise of Twitter and I mean TikTok and everything like that, we saw it on the national news that there were people not from here that were harassing the U of I professor. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for the, the what happened in Idaho, and so I'm assuming this is a challenge in the newsroom mm-hmm. is like getting this breaking information, but also getting it from Twitter and not knowing if it's correct. How are how do you deal with and I've seen you talk about this sometimes on Twitter, too, about all this news is coming in and how do you how do you quickly figure it out if it's correct, like fact checking, but also getting it on TV, too, because I'm sure people are messaging you saying, hey, what's going on in my neighborhood? Yeah. Am I
2: safe? Yep. And it's funny because people always will criticize journalists for being like, well, you're just trying to be first and get the information out there quickly. I'm like, well, you expect it of us. You know, you just do. And I get that. Like, people want to know what's happening. Um, so we always try to balance that, um, that need to get the information out quickly with, I mean, the number one thing is get it right. I mean, for a million ethical reasons, but also like legally, I don't really want my station to get sued because we got something wrong. Um, so it's, it's tricky and it's harder now because of social media and because of not just social media, even our website, you know, all digital media makes that a little bit more of a 24 seven cycle where before if we had a tip at 11 in the morning, we were like, okay, well we'll get it on the five o'clock news and nobody would know any different. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, we do balance it by, you know, any, all, Our standards are the same, whether something's online or on TV. So we have to make sure we've got, you know, we're confident in the sourcing. We vetted, you know, the information or the people, um, the, the misinformation issue is like kind of my new passion. And like, that's what we saw so much in this Idaho case is like, you just couldn't even get through the noise to get people. And then, and then you'd give people the information and and I always say, show your work, right? We got to show people, this is how we have this. This is how we're confident in our information, but the takeaways are things that are like, oh, I saw this and it was like, ah, oh, you guys, we <laughs> told you that wasn't true. Or you know, so it's the um that constant competition for eyeballs and information is every mm. single day it seems like it gets worse and worse. Um so we just have to try to You know, make sure that we're 100% confident in our stories before we put them out. Also knowing that sometimes we will put put information out and that we'll get more information as we go. So it's up to us to make sure we're following through on stories and making sure those, you know, that information stays relevant and correct. Because especially if you look at like a police situation, those situations are evolving all the time. So we have to let people know in the moment, like this is the information we have right now this information could change and we'll let you know when it does, you know, that kind of conversation and dialogue, but it's hard. I mean, it really is that. And I always think to myself, Oh, I just hate that people like demand us to get this information out. And I'm like, but I do it too. Like <laughs> I want to know the information as quickly as possible. So we just try to make sure we're sticking to our same standards, whether it's a tweet that we put out or, or something that we lead the six o'clock news with. It should be the same. We should be as confident in our stories. I always try to tell people if you wouldn't be comfortable Going on the stand in a criminal trial mm-hmm. and defending where you got the information, then don't do it. And we've pulled stories or, or at the last minute because I'm like, I'm just I'm not quite there. Um, I'd rather take a little bit of extra time and extra steps and make sure we're getting it right.
1: Yeah, I mean, because you see what happens when people don't get it right Mm -hmm. or the facts change very quickly, you know, this person said or this entity, this government entity even said, this is what happened. And then video footage comes out, that that's definitely not what happened. So how do you address those kind of challenges when, you know, government figures are telling you one thing? And I know there's FOIA, the Freedom Mm -hmm. of Information Act. um, But how do you handle information coming from the government that Mm -hmm. happens to be… Very natural.
2: <laughs> we always should start from a place of skepticism, mm. um, which is not a great way to go through life distrusting everyone. <laughs> but um, I have a poster in my office, and it has all these like rules of journalism on it. And the last one says, "If your mom says she loves you, check it out." <laughs> like I've heard it said, "If your mom says she loves you, get a second source." Right? <laughs> oh. But it's it's that it's you know, um, most government entities are not lying to us. They just are not. Sometimes there's pretty bad spin and it's a matter of knowing that um you know you look at like the uvaldi situation the george floyd like the initial press release in the george floyd situation was like the man was unresponsive and he stopped breathing and it was like well um there's some steps in between there that happened so we try to go in with that level of skepticism and always looking for some document that can back it up and in most cases there is in most cases there's some sort of paper trail it's a lot of people think that's boring journalism of like, well, I got to find this city council. I love that stuff. I spent 15 minutes today looking through city council public records. Why? I don't know. Um, I wonder why I was tired afterwards. <laughs> Maybe I was bored. Um, but I think that's. We we always I think if we go in trying to understand what somebody else's agenda would be, and again, that's not always that they're lying. It's just that they want you to know something from their point of view that benefits them for whatever reason. So the more you can arm yourself with information, so you can ask good questions, and that's hard for journalists when they start out because one, you've got most people have gone through their lives believing that these positions of power are people you can trust and rely on. So it feels weird to assume that they might not be telling you the, the whole truth. And then it's weird to be like, well, I'm just going to say, I don't believe you, or I think that, you know, you've got to get comfortable with that as a journalist, and that's That's hard Um, because you want people to like you. and You don't want to seem like you're being a jerk. So the more information you can have going into those situations, the better. The Freedom of Information Act is a godsend. The Washington Public Records Act, you know, all those things. But they take a lot of time. I just found – I had made a public records request with Washington State in 2021, and I just found out yesterday they never fulfilled it. And I said, hey – and they were like, oh, we'll get it to you by Valentine's Day. So you guys – I mean – the story that I requested on is not even relevant anymore. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, well, I want this information. So um, the more you can, you can just um, go into it, knowing more than they do sometimes, I think then that helps.
1: The Spokane club is more than just an athletic facility. It is the club for your whole life. For over a century, Spokane club has been committed to providing its members with the finest venue in which to work, gather and play. Spokane club membership gives you access to world-class amenities and services all in one place their innovative sports and fitness facilities, dining at their award-winning restaurant, priority status for use of catering services, meeting rooms, and banquet facilities, even private hotel accommodations and access to other private clubs around the world through their Reciprocal Clubs program. Learn more and see all of the incredible programming they offer at SpokaneClub.com. And, you know, speaking
0: of misinformation and having to really dig for information, you have been a part of so many explosive stories. I don't even know how else to describe them, but that really sparked a national conversation and were really tense moments in both our local history and national history and sometimes even global history. There's one in particular that stood out to me, and it's because I was her TEDx speaker curator at the mm. University of Idaho. Um it wasn't one that I had picked. Our the our event director had selected her and because of her background, I was respectful of that. Uh, but Rachel Dolezal was one of those stories that just rocked our region to its very core, especially because of her role in the NAACP locally. Um, how did you break that story? And was it hard for you to navigate all of the fallout that happened from you know her appearance on the Today Show, which she brought me the mug from? It was a very oh, weird thing. That's kind. Yeah, right. The very next day and just <laughs> There were so there were so many parts to that that caused a lot of turmoil, and I'm sure that the station had to deal with a lot of that as well. So what was it like, and how did you break that story, and then how did you
2: navigate that fallout? I will tell you that story got so crazy that the night it broke, I went home, the NBA finals were on, and um, our my Twitter, my notifications blew up so much it kept shutting my phone down. And I was like, well, aren't people just watching this NBA game instead? Like it was bizarre. I mean, one of the stranger experiences I've ever had as a journalist. Um, That was a, a team effort, but it went back years. So we had covered when she was in Idaho and had made some claims about being the victim of a hate crime there. And we had interviewed her a couple of times in her role there. And um, the hate crime story that she told there was a little bit um, – there was a lot of questions about it. It sounded so outrageous that you think to yourself, either this is one of the most terrible things that's happened here or it's just something – being skeptical of everyone kind of came up. And, and we had had some information from a really well-placed source involved with that investigation that, that maybe not to push forward with the coverage. Like maybe you're, you don't have everything that you need to have to know. And it was enough information that we – it was on our radar, um, then she moved here, and it was the same type of thing, allegations of hate crimes and um, hate mail and that type of thing. So, it, again, it was it was all just kind of adding up to a bigger picture. Um, I am totally honest with you to think that I did not expect that it would turn out that it was actually that she was white. It was just that we didn't think maybe the hate crimes had happened. So it – it kind of happened simultaneously that um, there was a – I think it was – and I'm, I apologize because my brain doesn't work anymore. I think it was the Coeur Press. They were working on the story simultaneously, mm-hmm. a different story um, because they had heard that she had white parents and that she was portraying herself as something she was not. So we were ready to break the one story about the – hate crime. Then we started to get some information about that. It kind of collided at the same time. And so there are people who say, well, KXOI takes credit for breaking that, but it's really the quarterly d'Alene press. It really looking back, I think it was all things just happening simultaneously. We happen to be the people that had the video. So Jeff Humphrey, who's one of our veteran reporters, one of my dear friends, and like one of the best reporters I've ever worked with, kind of had the information ready to go that um, that one, that they had closed the hate crime investigation and then he had this backup question um, that you kind of had one chance to ask. And she granted us an interview. They asked the question, and there goes Viral City. For us, the the fallout of it became, and it's still to this day sort of, well, who cares? You know, if she's doing good in the community, who cares? I, we never really cared about that part of the story. It was how did she misrepresent herself to our community um, on boards and in TED Talks and in um, – a university position and all these things. How did all of that impact our community? The trust, um, you know, the NAACP in this community needs to build trust. They 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 didn't have a very strong voice under her leadership. They had a stronger voice. Well, now all of a sudden, did all that trust break. So that to me was always the bigger story. Um, the rest of it took on a life of its own. And and to this day, I mean, people send me things all the, every time there is a. A blip about Rachel Dolezal, somebody sends it to me. Um, but really for us, it was not – it was not really about the race issue. It was about the community trust issue. And so that's the way we tried to tell it. Um, we broke that story and I think it was maybe a week later. It was it was a short time later and a bunch of – the fallout started happening with the city. She was on some commissions and all these things. That all started to happen and I was literally in the airport heading to Disneyland with my family. So I was like, okay um, – you guys are good, right? Like I'm going to go see Mickey and go on Splash Mountain. So anyway, it all, it all. Yeah. But it was, it was one of those stories that just over the course of several years, every time something would happen, I was like, I just, something is here. Um, and I've thought that before that something's there and it's not, so it's not like my great instinct, but, but there were just enough people that were, were skeptical and kind of just kept adding to that. We would never have reported the, um, any of it individually, like we needed all of the information to kind of add up to the story. Um, and, and we luckily were in a position that we we had time to do that. We didn't have our hand forced to break that story or anything like that. So yeah, it's a, it's a wild one. Yeah, it definitely was. It's <laughs> a longer answer than you probably wanted, but I could talk about it all day because it was so crazy. It really was.
0: I was living in that too, yeah. because then I was put into this position when the next day after she did her talk at the University of Idaho and- I had tried to encourage her to include some things about acknowledging, you know, the misrepresentation. Um, but her talk was about other things. But w- with regard to the fallout in the community, that's just one example of a story where your actions as a reporter and telling the truth can have enormous impacts on the people around you, even, you know, close relationships, distant relationships, but you have to stay so neutral and tell the truth. And that can be a really painful thing to do, but it is so valuable in having access to information that is trustworthy and that's real and you can count on. And for us, you know, we have the experience with creating this little baby publication, and it's such a small piece of the enormous amount of work that's done every day by all of the journalists in our community, and it's
2: great to see that collaboration happen as well. Yeah, there's great journalism happening here on, you know, commercial TV, the newspaper, the Inlander, Range, what you guys are doing. I mean, it it's cool to have – outlets for so many different voices and perspectives and interests and all those things. I mean, I think it's, um I think it's a really, really good journalism community here. And, um and the more that, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with, the folks at range or the Inlander about, okay, can we collaborate on some things? Like we're better together and, you know, and there's competition between us and the, and the other TV stations because of advertising dollars and ratings and all those things. But I root for them to do good work. Like the better journalism that we all do, it makes the community better. And this is my home now. So I want the journalism to be better. So yeah, the more everybody kind of supports each other, I think makes it, it really makes a big difference. That is something
0: so unique in our community too, for the most part, you know, We are seeing a lot of symbiotic work being done. And I I love that spirit of collaboration that you have. Really cool.
1: And it seems like a lot of it is easier maybe nowadays because of the barriers to entry. Mm. So like Range started – I can't remember where they started, but I think they're on Substack maybe now. Don't quote me on that. They may have their own platform. Um, But we were able to start a magazine and then Mm -hmm. a lot of people have kind of broken into journalism because of you know, love it or hate it, Twitter and TikTok and everything like that. So as we – since we're starting the new year, 2023, Mm. when we're recording this, what kind of trends do you see for journalism going forward? What would you like to see more of?
2: Um, that's, I, 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 keep talking about TikTok and I sound like such an old lady when I talk about TikTok. Cause I am an old lady. Um, about, a, with you. <laughs> about, I mean, I'm like, look at it. I'm like, I know I need to put something here, but I don't get it. Um, about a year ago, we started to have conversations because news outlets were on TikTok. And I remember thinking, you know, our we have a very specific target audience for local news. I mean, we serve the community, but the people who come to local news the most are like busy moms who have a million thing, you know, things coming at them and all that. And I just kept thinking, well, that's not who's on TikTok. So, we had a, a one of our digital producers who had just graduated came to us and said, "Hey, I really want to try some things on TikTok." I'm like, "Yes, let it be you because you don't <laughs> want it to be me, right?" Um And at the time I was just like, okay, that's cool. We'll do that. Well, then I started the more in my own like social group started to hear people. Oh, did you see this on TikTok? Did you see this? And, and the, the real turning point was I picked up my son at a sleepover. He was 13 at the time and he gets in the car and he starts talking about Gabby Petito. Well, my kids have two parents that are journalists. They don't watch the news. So I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like, what do you know? And how do you, I was like, why are you talking about this? He's like, oh, we watched like 50 TikToks on it last night. No. And I was like, okay, what did you hear? Like what kind of, and I realized it was about half, half accurate, half not. But I thought in those two moments, one, um, that's just one platform that people, you know, my, I, I can't be like, oh, I can't be on TikTok. I'm too old. Like we've got to be in that space, right? That's where it's going. But also I just felt like, if there's all this information out there and a lot of this misinformation, I feel like we have an obligation to try to get in there, get in the algorithm with good, you know, sourced information. So I think there's a lot. There, I was going back to your question there. Sorry. Yeah. Um, there's a lot happening there. It's, it's, um, I don't think TikTok is going to change, you know, the world, right? I mean, it's some things start and then they go away. And, um, but I think it's more, um, Just um, diversifying of platforms. Um, You know, our website does one thing. Our TV station does one thing. Our our Twitter presence is a different thing. Our Facebook presence. So I think more news organizations are understanding. You can't just put your TV product on Facebook and call it a day. Mm -hmm. So how can you produce content for these specific platforms? Because... Everybody's eyeballs are going a million different directions too. Um, Streaming is our number one priority right now. It's like what – you know, people downloading our KXY Plus app on their TV at home and watching news when it makes sense for them. Um, That is like so obvious because that's how we're all consuming content. But like for us as an organization to figure it out, we're like – Okay. What do we put here and how do we do it? But I think that's the biggest trend right now, at least, at least with, with local TV stations is, um, just, you know, moving more to streaming platforms. It's people always say, Oh, well, it's going to kill TV or, you know, it's like, well, it, local news is local news. It's going to matter to people no matter what. There are times where you need the information from people you trust in your community about what's happening. It's just a matter of us. Doing what we do well, but putting it in all these places where people can see it. So that's kind of, I mean, that's been the trend for a while, but I think kind of those are the big things we think about is how do we um, get good content in front of these other platforms where people are anyway um, while still doing, you know, our station still makes the most money off of TV news and TV advertising. So you can't like take all from this and put it over here. It doesn't work that way. But.
1: I would say that you have one of the best streaming platforms. Oh my gosh, I yeah. yeah, that. For some reason, we're not able to get like antenna TV. Mm-hmm. It just like doesn't work in our house. Mm-hmm. And so all we do are the streaming apps for all the local stations. Great. Yours mm-hmm. is definitely up there as being one of the very best. Great. Yeah, we we do the same thing. We what, In the morning, you know, maybe like we don't get in for like the 7 a.m. news, mm-hmm. but we're like starting it at 7.45 mm-hmm. to watch the 7. So it's nice to have that loaded, ready to go and everything yeah. too. So I see the work you're putting in. Oh, it's, I'm so it's, glad it's to hear that. really good. good. Yeah, That's good. I really Let's, appreciate it. It's a work in
2: progress i mean we hired a digital anchor for the first time he was like like literally someone whose just job is just to anchor on digital and um when we were trying to hire for it i was like oh i want this job (laughs) every time we make a new position i'm like i want this um but we ended up it it was a hard position to explain to people because we didn't have anybody that was doing it and we ended up finding a wonderful like the most perfect person for it and he was working in radio in california he's great on tv i mean it's he's on (laughs) streaming but it looks like tv um but also he came to us going i said i don't know exactly what this job is going to be. Like, I have a pretty good idea. So like, do you trust me? Do you want to come figure this out? And um, he's been awesome. So we're, we're trying to move more resources into that space without taking away from or, or adding a bunch more work to everybody else's <laughs> plate, which is what we, we do that too. So yeah,
1: awesome. Good.
0: Well, we love seeing all of the innovations that you're bringing about at the studio. And we know that you're pretty active on social media too. Your Twitter account is really very interesting to follow. Melissa talks about it all the time. Not you, Melissa, but this <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> but also this Melissa. Yeah, Melissa. Yeah. So where can people find you on social media or do you like to tend to lay low on
2: the internet? You know, I my Twitter's everywhere and I'm sorry. I it is a it is a some t- sometimes now I try to tell myself do you need to share your, your thoughts about this? Um, so it's Melissa KXOI four is my Twitter handle. Um, I have a I have a station Facebook page which I think is just Melissa Let KXOI. I'm not great at remembering to publish to there, um, and then my Instagram is private, not because I post private things, but because I have a teenage son who is like, Mom, it's so cringy. Can you make your Instagram private? But um, but my my Twitter is where all my thoughts go for better or worse. So if you want to know anything about market basketball leading into March Madness or just you know random thoughts about my life, but also a lot of news and behind the scenes. So Twitter is probably the best place to find me.
0: Well, I hope that everyone gets a chance to join you on Twitter. So much fun following you. We really appreciate you coming on the show today. And thank you so much for spending time with us. We feel so encouraged and love having a role model
2: like you in our community to look up to. Oh, thank you. You guys are good at this. So thank you. Thank you. You guys ask good questions and you're very engaged. So you're hired. Yes, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh. Yes.
0: <laughs> we <to> the best. <laughs> Thank you again so much. And we hope that you guys will all get a chance to not only check out what she's doing on Twitter, but also watch KXLY News to be more informed about our community. Thanks for listening.